Good morning. Uh, typically, the Sunday after November 1st, um, Mitch usually preaches a sermon uh, for All Saints Day on a saint, and that is actually, some of you were expecting that this morning, and uh, sorry to disappoint, he will actually be doing that next week, uh, a, a message about the life of Stonewall Jackson. Um, I would do it this morning, but with my limited knowledge of him, it would be the shortest sermon in Three Rivers history, and so... Uh, we're going to let Mitch take care of that. But what I want to do this morning uh, is continue what we've been doing as a church the last few weeks of looking at the church. Uh, we've talked about what are elders. We've talked about uh, what does it mean for every member of the church to be a part of ministry, to be called to ministry. Um, in a few weeks, we'll, we'll be talking about deacons. Uh, but Mitch asked me to preach uh, on this topic of church membership. And I, my mom, I was talking to her yesterday on the phone, and, and they, they came today, and they were planning to be here. And she said, so, uh, what are you preaching tomorrow? And I said, uh, church membership. And there was this long silence on the other end of the phone, and she said, okay, sounds interesting. And, and maybe you have that same response when you hear that, church membership. I've never heard a sermon on church membership before, and uh, I think there there's probably a lot of reasons for that. Um, I know that when I when I was in high school and college and even in, into seminary, um, I, I dated a lot of people before I met my wife Jenny. And I, I think I, I probably struggled with what a lot of guys do with this idea of commitment, you know. And I, I would date a girl for a while, and then I would be with her, and then things wouldn't work out, and then I would go and then later on uh, date someone else, and this constant pattern of this, and it was extremely exhausting for me, and uh, it was a horrible experience. And if I look back, if I'd known what I knew now, I would have just waited until I met Jenny, you know. And But I think that idea of dating uh, has come into the, the way we view church. And maybe you've heard that term before of dating the church, and I think that happens a lot because church membership uh, is is not taught properly or maybe not even emphasized at all. Uh, there are a lot of churches uh, that don't have any type of membership at all. So maybe we don't understand why it's important, but what I hope today is that we'll not only see why it's important, but I hope that your heart is encouraged that if you are a member here, that yes, it's a good thing. Uh, and if you're not a member of a of a local body of believers uh, that you would pursue that, um, because I, I just believe it is very biblical. And so the question is, why, first question, why do we date the church? Why do people date the church? And you know what I mean by dating the church. Uh, you, you, you go to one church, and I think this is prevalent in Rome. Uh, I, I can say that because I'm from here. Um, I think the majority of people who go to church have probably been members of at least three to four churches within the last 15 to 20 years, maybe even more than that. And there is this thing going on, not just in this town, but all over the place where people jump from church to church and they go to different churches all the time. And so the question is, is that good? Uh, is that the way that we should treat church? So I have some reasons here why I think we date the church. First, I think we're independent. We're an independent people. 
especially here in the West, we, we like to do things our way. And we don't like to be told what to do. It's just the American way, right? Nobody's going to tell us, you know. And so we're, we're independent. So I'm going to go where I want to go. And if I want to go somewhere different, the next week I, I can do that too. So we're, in, we're independent. One thing, one reason might be that we're indifferent. We date the church because we're indifferent. We just don't really care. Uh, maybe about the implications of membership or we've never even thought about it. Uh, another reason is we're, we're immature. I think that could, that's a possible reason that we haven't developed in the faith where we realize the importance of being devoted and committed to a local body. One reason might be that we're indecisive. Indecisive. Maybe just can't decide which church to go to. So uh, there's four or five of them that I like, so I just go to all of them, you know. And every once a sun, one Sunday a month, I, I go to all my churches. And maybe you're just indecisive and not sure where. Maybe there's a church here that has something you really like. And, and maybe there's another church that does something else really well that you like. And uh, maybe the, the preaching here is really good. But maybe the, the, the children's program here is really great for your kids. And, and maybe you just love the, your Sunday school class here. And we have all these things. And maybe you're just indecisive. Another reason is while we date the church, maybe that we're ignorant. And I don't mean that in a mean way. I mean that we're just ignorant of what is church membership and why is it important. And so let me tell you now uh, why we need to stop dating the church. Uh, we're going to look at a lot of different passages. If you have a Bible, we're going to home base today will be Ephesians chapter 4. And, and I'll get there in just a few minutes. But I also want to look at other passages in Scripture that talk about church membership. Is it biblical? Is, is there anything in the Bible that says thou shalt be a church member? Um, why? Why do we need to stop dating the church? First reason, primary reason, is because God's Word says that membership in the local church is important. I believe that. I believe God's Word teaches that membership in the local church is important. Now, let me say a couple of things here. First, membership in a local church is not biblically commanded. That's the first thing I need to say here to clarify membership in a local church is not biblically commanded. And what I mean by that is there is no explicit verbatim verse in the Bible you can point to that says, thou shalt join a church and be a member of a local church. But before we say, just throw that out, because I, I, I knew people in my life and went to college with people and, and know people even today that they don't go to church because they say, well, it's not it's not in the Bible. There's nothing in the Bible that says I need to be a church member. So I, I you know, I, I get my church whether I'm watching television on Sunday or, you know, I, you know, I go, but I, I'm not joining. I'm not a member there. There's nothing that says I need to join that church. So I just come and, and then I, I hear the sermon, and then I leave, and that's all that I do. And so, yes, I, I agree that the Bible does not specifically say, "Thou shalt join a church." But the Bible also, Jesus never makes an explicit verbatim command or word that says, I am God. It, it, the Trinity is never really outlined in Scripture. Now, what, what I mean by that, or the way we're talking about, what I mean by that is that although those things are not maybe biblically explicit, they are biblically implied. 
So the second thing we need to say is membership in a local church may not be biblically commanded, but it is biblically implied. And so how is it implied? I think that it's implied four different ways. All right, we're going to look at some clues, some evidence throughout Scripture that implies that there, uh, that church membership is something that is biblically implied for us, that it is something that every Christian should be a part of. And before we look at these, just think of the, the, the whole idea of being in and out. Remember the Garden of Eden? There was this idea of you're in the garden, and then when they sinned, they were out of the garden. There was a sense in the, in the Old Testament community of the Israelites that you were in the community of faith, you were clean, ritually clean, you were allowed to worship, or you were outside the camp, you were not allowed in. So we have these pictures of this, but where do we see in the Bible that church membership is implied for us? First, membership is implied by church gatherings. Membership is implied by church gatherings. Over 120 times in the New Testament, the word ekklesia is mentioned. That word in the Greek, it, it means a gathering of people, the joining together of God's people. It's used all throughout Scripture, especially at the beginning of the letters when Paul or Peter would write to the church in Thessalonica, to the, to the church in Colossae, to the to the church in Philippi. He's writing to the ecclesia. So that word there implies that there was a group of people gathering together around the word of God to study, to worship, and to be in community with one another. It's implied in 1 Corinthians 16 when, when he gives these, uh, he, he talks to these people who are in the church when the church gathers with Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, the church is mentioned, ecclesia. It's all over the New Testament. And that implies that there was a group of people that gathered together. And something we need to understand about the church is that the church uh, is both universal, as St. Augustine would have said, it's universal, and it's local. Two ideas of the church we need to see. There's the universal church, which is all Christians from all over the world who have ever lived. The, the church universal. Everyone. But then there's also the idea of the church that is local. A local body of believers who gather that are set apart. It's implied in Acts chapter 11. The local church, you have the, the universal church which, the, which is the big body of Christ and then you have these smaller local churches and the local church is the visible expression of the universal church. So we as a church today, this gathering of people, people who are different from different ages, male and female, different walks of life, we come together this morning and just by our gathering and worship, we are expressing what is going on throughout the entire world of the universal body of Christ gathering together. And so the local church is a visible expression of the universal body of Christ. You see this in Acts chapter 9. When uh, Jesus confronts Saul on the road to Damascus, you remember what happens? He knocks him down and he falls to the ground and, and Saul, is, who's going to be Paul, is blinded. And Jesus says something really interesting to him. He says, Saul, why do you persecute the church? Is that what he says? No. 
Saul, why do you persecute my people? That's not what he says. What does Jesus tell Saul? Saul, why do you persecute me? So Jesus Christ identifies his church with himself when he tells Saul, who's, who is on his way to persecute more Christians, he says, not that you're persecuting the Christians, which he was, not that you're persecuting the church, which he was, not that you were persecuting the body, which he was, but you are persecuting me. Jesus identifies his body, his bride, with himself. And so we are a visible expression of universal, invisible body of Christ. And so what we need to see is that part of what it means to belong to the body of Christ assumes that we are a member of a local body of Christ. If we're in the body of Christ, we also have to be part of a body. Okay, That's the first thing. It is biblically implied by church gatherings that people were gathering together all over. Okay, The second implication, second clue of church membership. Membership is implied by church discipline. Membership is implied by church discipline. If you look in Matthew chapter 18, this is a perfect example of this. Matthew chapter 18, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it for you. Matthew 18, verses 15 to 18, Jesus says these words, and, and maybe you're familiar with this passage, but I, I don't think we've spent a lot of time on this, and a lot of people aren't really aware of what's going on here. Matthew 15, 18, Jesus, or 18, verse 15, Jesus says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector." He goes on and he says, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. That last verse has been used to describe the church, and that verse is not describing what the church is at all. People say, well, a church is anywhere there's two or three gathered in my name. I'll be there also. But is that really what Jesus is saying here? That anybody who gets together, if two people get together uh, and, and, and pray together in the name of Jesus, that that's a church? No. We need to be careful that we don't define the church by just two or three people gathering in His name. Now, you may be a member of the body of Christ, but that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is giving... Uh, an example of how to do church discipline. He says if, if somebody out there is unrepentant in sin, then a, a, a person in that body should go to that person privately in love and, and urge them to repent and say, hey, you don't need to be doing what you're doing. If that person refuses, then they take two or three more people and they try to keep it in, in as small a group as possible. And they confront that person in sin. And then if they don't listen then, then you take it to the church. Jesus uses this word church and says you bring the person before the whole church and if they still don't repent, then you excommunicate them. You, you have them leave the fellowship. 
Now the question is, if, if bro over here doesn't repent of sin, am I supposed to go announce to the entire universal body of Christ all over the world about this guy's refusal to repent? Well, no. And what Jesus is saying when he says, if, uh, in, in verse 17 and 18, truly, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, that's talking about church discipline. That if you, if you bind a person or if you tell them to leave, you do that with the authority of Christ. I am with you also. If two or three of those witnesses who get together agree about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. When two or three are gathered in my name, there I am also. Those two or three gathered are in the exercising of church discipline. Not in the gathering of worship as the body of Christ. Does that make sense? I've, used, I've heard this verse so many times when we say, well, what is a church? And somebody throws this verse out, well, well when two or three are gathered in my name. But is that really what a church is? No. So we see that if, if, if church discipline happens in Matthew chapter 18, here's the question. How can you discipline somebody? How can you have somebody leave and go out if there is no in? How, who's going to exercise discipline? Who are the people here that are supposed to go and, and confront this person in sin? And take it a step further, who is the church that we're supposed to bring this person to? Is it the universal body? No. It's the local body of which that person is a member. And if you're not a member, you can't participate in church discipline. And listen, when we say church discipline, we don't just mean uh, cracking of the whip, oh, you sinned, you're out. All right? That's not what we mean. Discipline, think of it in terms of training. An athlete has training and he, he disciplines himself to train himself. This is all corrective to help us grow in godliness, not just to pick out sinners so we can kick them out. So don't think of church discipline that way, okay? Membership is implied by church discipline, and it, it's, we see this not just in discipline, but in the excommunication of members. You go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and you have the Corinthian church that had all types of problems. One of which, in 1 Corinthians 5, uh, you have this man who is caught in sexual immorality. And he's, I believe that he's sleeping with his mother-in-law, or it doesn't matter who he's sleeping with, he's in sexual immorality. Put it this way, it was so bad that the sex-crazed Corinthian church said, whoa, that's way too much. This guy, I mean, he needs to go. So they realized that, that there was something wrong. And so... I want you to see in 1 Corinthians 5, I'm going to read this for you. Listen to the words of Paul as he talks about the excommunication or the outing of, of a believer. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 12. He says, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside Purge the evil person from among you. Now why is he saying this? You look back in verse 11. He says, I'm, I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. Paul's saying you don't need to associate with people who say they're Christians but continue to live in sexual immorality or any other type of sin that is unrepentant. 
he clarifies this and he says, I'm not telling you not to, not to associate yourselves with all sexually immoral people because you wouldn't have anybody to hang out with. That's what he says. He says, I'm, I don't have any business judging people who are outside of the church because the truth is they are judged already by God. And for some reason, this idea has crept into American Christianity that it is, a, it is not Christian to judge another Christian. When Paul is giving us good reason to judge the person not outside of the church, but within the church. But if there's no church, if there's no in, how can you send people out? And if there's no membership, how can you determine who's in in the first place? So there needs to be some some definable line where we know who's the members, who's in, and who's out. That way we know if someone is living in sin that we can pursue them, and if they don't repent, they need to be gone. They don't, we don't need to associate with them. Now that sounds really harsh. That's not the most popular thing in the world. But we need to realize this is something to protect the church and to protect the gospel. And actually, when you have someone leave the church... They don't, we don't do that, and, and we don't ever want to have to do that, but if a person persists in unrepentant sin, and we have to put that person out, it is not because we don't like that person, it's actually because we love that person, and we want them to repent. And so by putting a person out of the church, it is actually a picture of them being separated, not just from the body of Christ, but being separated from Christ Himself. When a person's removed from the church, excommunicated because of unrepentant sin... It is the church's way of saying we no longer identify you as a believer because of the life that you live. Please repent. And so we see biblical church membership implied in Scripture by church discipline. You can't be put out of the church unless you've first been in the church. The third way that church membership is implied. Membership is implied by church leadership. By church leadership. If you look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, there's a, there's a verse here that cuts two different ways. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So we see this picture of who are these church leaders? Who are these leaders that he, the writer of Hebrews is telling Christians, you need to obey your leaders? How can you obey your, the le leaders of what? If there's no church, if there's no church membership, then how do you know who you're supposed to submit to and obey? And on the other hand, how are these church leaders supposed to know who's in their charge? Who are they accountable to? This verse at first seems harsh, especially in America, because we don't like to be told you need to submit to your leaders and obey them. I mean, I, I mean that, that idea kind of rubs raw with some people. But the reason that it shouldn't, the reason that you shouldn't hesitate and say, yes, I want, I want to submit myself to the leadership of this church, the reason you can do that and not fear of being abused, although that happens, is because of the second part of this verse that says those leaders who are overseeing your souls, they will give an account for the way they live. 
and the way that they guard you. You know something very frightening for, for me and um, for any of these men who are pursuing eldership and, and, and for Mitch and for Emmett and all of, our, all of the men who lead this church. We have to remind ourselves that this is not just a game. But every one of us will give an account for the way that we lead and shepherd and are overseers of the church's souls. Now the question is, if I'm an elder, if I'm a pastor, if I'm an overseer, who do I have to give an account to God for? Do I have to give an account for every Christian on the face of the planet, for the way they live, for all who've ever lived in history? I hope not. No, I, I'll have to give an account for people that are in my charge that God has given to me as part of the flock that, I'm, that I've been given to shepherd. That, those are the people that I'll give an account for, not, the people, not even the people, other Christians in Rome, Georgia, just the people in the local body. But if there's no membership, how can a leader know whom he has to oversee? And if there's no membership, how can the people in the church know who they're supposed to submit to? So, we see it implied here, church membership. You see it also in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Paul gives a, a word to the Ephesians, and he says in Acts 20, 28, Pay careful attention to yourselves. He's talking to church leaders. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which He obtained with His own blood. Again, we're, who are we supposed to be overseeing? We cannot know that unless we have defined church membership. The fourth way that church membership is implied in Scripture, membership is implied by church accountability. Church accountability. Let me ask you a question. What local body of believers are you accountable to? And notice that I'm not asking you where is your letter? Or where is your name on a membership roll? This goes much deeper than that, church. What local body are you accountable to? And when I say accountable, I mean that you've given your life to. I mean, we see accountability all throughout church. The church uh, in, in the book of Acts and throughout the New Testament. In Acts chapter 6, the church was accountable to choose leaders, to choose elders, to appoint them for the churches. In 1 Corinthians 5, the church is accountable for identifying their church members. And by the way, in 1 Corinthians 5, we talked about the man who was excommunicated. It is the church who defines the church members, not the individual members themselves. Let me say that another way. You as a member, you don't say, you don't get to define, well, I'm a church member. That's not for you to define. It's the church as a whole, the local body, that looks at your life and says, yes, that person has not only made a profession of faith, but they are living a life, as far as we can tell, a life that backs up their profession of faith. It's the church in 1 Corinthians 5 that defines the members, not the members themselves. Acts chapter 13, the church is accountable to send missionaries in Galatians 1, the church is accountable to preaching and guarding the gospel. Who are you accountable to? 
what 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 local body and and maybe if if this church is not the church that you're a local uh that you're accountable to and if you're not a member here i, I pray you'll find a church that you'll that you'll get connected to and committed to and give your life for and let me say this too that this this applies for everyone this doesn't just it doesn't say that we are accountable. Everyone needs to be a local body, needs to be a member of a local church, except college students. And I know that college students, many of you are in here, and by your nature, you're transient. You're here for a while, you're studying, and then you're, you're probably going to graduate and leave. But let me encourage you, join a church. Be a member of the local body. And I, and I know what, I've heard people say this. Well, I don't go to church because I'm part of the campus ministries. I'm part of some other parachurch organization. Like, I'm, I'm part of Salvation Army. Or I'm, I'm part of a, another, uh, the church kitchen, soup kitchen. I'm part of something else and I, I help. But I don't, I don't, I'm not a member of a church, but I, I go to campus ministry stuff. Hear me out, please. I'm a campus minister, okay? I do campus ministry. But I, I need to say this, not just to college students, but for anybody in this church that not, has not joined and been a part of a church, Jesus Christ did not die and shed His blood for campus ministries. He didn't die for para-church para organizations, as helpful as they are. Jesus Christ died for the church. The body of Christ. It's His body and it's His bride. He laid His life down for the church and it's the church that Jesus has upheld and said, this is the way that I'm going to show my glory in the world. This is the way that I'm going to show the gospel in the world. This is the way that I'm going to show my nature to the world is by the local church. And so, to that end, we join churches, we join this church to make Jesus known, to take the gospel to the nations, to make Christ known, and to reveal the nature of God by how we love one another, right? John 13, verses 34 and 35. The world will know that you belong to me by the love that you have for one another. Are you accountable to a group of people? And so, not just to college students, but for anyone, while you're here, you need to be a member of a local church and give your life to them. Be accountable to them. And so, what is the importance of the local church? Let me give you some things here. And let me give you a definition of church, alright, from Ephesians 4. We'll go back to Ephesians 4 and this is where we'll be to end. And by the way, I, I didn't say this earlier, but let me give you one other picture of, of church membership in Scripture, and this is in 1 Corinthians 15, or 1 Corinthians 12, I'm sorry, you have a picture of the church as a body with different members. That's where that word membership comes from. And the church itself cannot function if it's missing members, that we're all part of one body and we're working together, and, and, and the eye can't function and do its job if it doesn't have hands, and, and the hands can't do things if it doesn't have the feet and, and we have all of these things that Christ is the head of the church and he pictures the church as a body with members that's where that word comes from and so that's another picture of of church membership being implied by the fact that the church is a body and so where do you fit in the local body of Christ this is what Brad talked about 
think it was last week, about how every member of this church, you use your gifts the way that God has gifted you to use them for the glory of God in the local body. And so, what is the importance of the local church? What is a church? Let me give you a definition, and then we're going to break that down. A church, and I'm getting this from, from Ephesians 4, a church is a local body of baptized believers. That's the first section. A local body of baptized believers joined together under biblical leadership. Number three, to grow in the likeness of Christ. Four, and express the love of Christ to each other and to the world around them. Let's look at Ephesians 4. I'm going to read this very quickly. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 1. And we don't have time to go through all of this, but I, I want to hit some highlights of this. Note, remember in Ephesians, the first three chapters, Paul has been hammering gospel, 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 gospel. And then, the, then he gets to chapter 4, and he's going to give us some application of gospel, 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 this unity we have in the gospel, what Christ has done for us in the gospel, all this gospel talk, it, it reveals itself and it, and it shows itself through the church. Ephesians 4, verse 1. Paul says, I therefore... A prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. All right, there's, there's the picture of the body, it's the bond of peace. We're bonded together. All right? Verse 4, there is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, We don't have time to go into this, but therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Verse 11. And what did he give to the church, to the bond of peace, to this group of believers? He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about them by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, there's that word love for the third or second time, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, there's that word body again, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So, what is the church? First, the church is a local body of baptized believers. That is the local church. And so, what is this emphasis on baptism? We are a group of baptized believers. Our baptism shows two things. First, we are recipients of a new covenant. First, we are recipients of a new covenant. If you remember in the Old Testament, Abraham had a covenant with God. 
to create a new people, the Old Testament people of God. And there was a sign for that covenant. What was that sign? It was circumcision, right? Circumcision was the sign of the Old Testament covenant. Now the sign for us today that we are members of the new covenant is baptism. And baptism is a declaration that we belong to Jesus. But there's a second aspect of baptism. We are recipients of a new covenant. God's made a new covenant with us, but we are also members of a new community. We are members of a new community. Baptism is a declaration that we belong to Jesus, but because we're in a new community, baptism is also a declaration that we belong to each other. We belong to one another. And so, if you're baptized in Christ this morning, that that sign of the new covenant shows that you belong to Jesus, you've made your confession, that you belong to Christ, but your baptism is also a sign that you belong to each other. That I am joining a local body, a local community of faith. It's one reason baptism is so important. We don't believe that baptism saves you, but we do believe baptism is very important in obedience to Christ. Not just to declare your faith and trust and identity with Jesus, but to declare your identity with His bride, with His body. And so, the church is a local body of baptized believers. Secondly, joined together under biblical leadership. We've talked about this, but the church needs leadership. And because there's leadership, Hebrews 13 tells the church to follow their leaders, to obey their leaders, to submit to their leadership. So there's two things we need to see here about biblical leadership. And we see this in Ephesians 4, verse 11. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. First thing we see about this biblical leadership, the church is entrusted with servants of the word. God has given us and entrusted to the church servants of the word, apostles, preachers, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to do the work of ministry through the word. We've been entrusted with servants of the word and the church is equipped to be servants with the word. We are entrusted with servants of the Word, these leaders, but we have also been equipped, the church is equipped to be servants with the Word. Let me, let me say something here. I have no authority this morning whatsoever in myself to tell you what to do. If this church, is, if the success of this church and the growth of this church is dependent upon what I have to offer or what Mitch has to offer or Emmett or any other person in this church, we are sunk. And so, brothers and sisters, I don't preach from my own authority. I preach from the authority of the Word, and this is our authority, and this is, this is, this is our guide, and this is our, our standard of, and rule of faith for how we live our lives. And so, the Scriptures are authority, and so I have no authority in myself to tell you these things, but we are servants of the Word, and we are servants with the Word. And so, this is our priority. And so, if you come into this church, and you want to join this church, and you have another priority... This may not be the church for you. I say that as lovingly as possible. You may need to find somewhere else. Because we at this church are committed to Scripture and the Word. 
And the Word is the guide. And so we, we have leaders who have been equipped with the Word and entrusted to be servants with the Word. So we're a local body of baptized believers joined together under biblical leadership. Third, to grow in the likeness of Christ. To grow in the likeness of Christ. You see this in Ephesians 4. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints to equip the people of God for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And so there's some things here we need to say. First, as a body of Christians, as a body of local believers, together we want to know the truth of Christ. We want to know the truth of Christ. You look in verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We teach the Bible here so that you, we can all grow in knowing Jesus better. The, the truth is that the church needs you and you need the church to grow together. And so, together, we want to know the truth of Christ and in doing so, we guard one another from deception. We guard one another from deception. We, we don't... We're not deceived by falling into cunning, false teaching. We have brothers and sisters who hold us and hold us accountable and love us and say, Brother, you're going too far. Come back. And that we do that out of love, right? We guard one another from deception because we want to know the truth of Christ. Another thing, to grow in the likeness of Christ. Together, we want to imitate the character of Christ. We want to imitate the character of Christ. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We want to be like Him. And for you to be like Jesus and to love Jesus and learn more about Jesus and to truly know Jesus, you have to be a part of His body. Church membership is essential for you to know Jesus. That's what this church is about. We're a group of people who love Jesus. And we know Jesus. And we want to be like Jesus. We want to follow Jesus. We want to serve Jesus. We want to make Jesus known to people who've never heard of Jesus. That's what it means to be a part of this body. And we do that together. And so in doing so, we guard one another from division. Not just deception. We guard one another from division. He says to be unified. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Third, together we want to display the fullness of Christ. We want to display the fullness of Christ. Christ. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we will no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. You display the fullness of Christ by maturing spiritual maturity. One of the ways that we know you're spiritually mature is you don't run after every wind and wave of false doctrine that you watch on TBN. If you even watch TBN, we need to talk. I thought just to be, just to get back at some people who made me mad, I was going to sign them up for the TBN email every day. But sorry, I'm all right. We want to display the fullness of Christ. 
My goal for you is to grow into maturity, right? I want you to grow to be like Jesus, to know Him. And so, in doing so, we guard one another from distraction. We guard each other from deception, not to be deceived by false teaching, not to be divided, but to be unified and not to be distracted. Isn't that the loving thing to do, right, as a body? If you don't have a body of believers, you don't have anybody to stop you when you go too far, when you fall into sin and you keep going, right? Man, if I'm, if I'm going the wrong direction, I don't want you to, to look, look at me and say, well, he'll find his way. That's just him. That's the way he's going to go. And then ten years later, I look at how I've wrecked my life and I say, I wish somebody would have stopped me back then. Isn't it true love for us to look at one another and to love them and guard them and say, listen, I'm not going to let you go and neither should you let me. You don't say that to your kids. Go ahead. If he wants to touch the hot stove, go. that's his deal. right? I'm not going to interfere with him. Just go ahead. You're not going to do that? No, don't do that. Come here. No, I love you. I'm not going to let you hurt yourself. And so when we join a local church... One of the things we're doing, we are inviting the body of Christ to hold us accountable, to discipline us, to, to love us by pointing out to us our sin or our shortcomings and to bring us back so that we may grow in the likeness of Christ. Right? And lastly, this definition of the local church. It's a local body of baptized believers joined together under biblical leadership to grow in the likeness of Christ together, finally, and express the love of Christ to each other and to the world around them. You see love all throughout Ephesians chapter 4. You see it in verse 2, that we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. Verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. Verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, when all the members are doing their job and using their gifts, it makes the body grow so that it builds, builds itself up in love. And so, the question is, love for whom? Who do you love? Who are you loving by becoming a member of a local church. There's actually four different groups of people that you love when you join the church. The first, we join a church for the good of ourselves. We join a church for the good of ourselves. That's the first person that you're loving. If you really love yourself, you're going to join a church because that's the way you're going to grow. It's good for you to be in a local church Community, faith. I, exhibit A, this morning I walked in here not feeling prepared for this and just feeling uneasy. And I had a group of brothers who came and prayed for me. I wouldn't get that out there. I wouldn't get that by myself. I had people who love me and, and, and pray with me. I had a sweet sister encourage me right here before we got started. She said, don't be nervous, you just preach the word. That just comforted me. I'm taking communion with the body of Christ. And I've got people encouraging me, even as before I speak to the group, it's like, just don't worry, we're with you. We support you. You, won't, you don't get that out there. And so, it is for the good of ourselves that we join the church. Second, who are we loving? We join a church for the good of other Christians. 
You join the church. You become a member for the good of other Christians. It is in the best interest of for everyone else for you to join this church because you have gifts to serve and edify and build up the church that no one else has. This would be a good place for me to mention our connect groups. If you're not a member of a connect group, you're missing out on a great blessing. In fact, uh, Jim Lanier and I are, are going to help Emmett and kind of take that load off of him in the next, as we move forward. And we're going to be meeting with our, our leaders of connect groups to talk about how can we revamp and not change everything, but how can we adjust and, and help our connect groups meet the needs of our people and, and, and make that available. We need more leaders. We need more people joining our groups. Our goal is for every member of this church to be a part of a connect group. Not because we just want to brag that we said we did it, but it's for your own good. It's for the good of you and it's for the good of other Christians. A third person that you love. We join a church for the good of non-Christians. Not just other Christians, but we join the church for the good of non-Christians. Because we come together and by loving one another, we display the gospel to those who've never believed it. We are a witness to the community here by the way we love one another. One of the greatest evangelism strategies in the church that has been minimized is the local church. You want to know a great evangelism strategy for this church? This church. Because when people come here, they ought to say, man, there's just something different about these people. They love one another. There ought to be a community and a sharing of life that, that takes place within this group of people that you cannot find anywhere else in the world. And so by, the, by our unity and by the way that we live, they will know we are Christians by our love for one another. And in that we display the gospel. And finally, since love is the distinguishing mark of the church and love is the essence of church membership, we join a church for the good of ourselves, for the good of other Christians, for the good of non-Christians, and finally we join a church for the glory of God. We join a church for the glory of God. You glorify God when you are united with His bride. What, is it, what does it sound like to God when, when He hears people say, you know, I, I love Jesus, I love Christ, but I, I just don't like His church. Man, how would you like it if I went up to you and said, hey man, I, I love you, you're great, but I just can't stand your wife. We're not going to be on good terms, right? And how much more if we say that we love Christ, should we not love His bride? And join His bride? And so if you're not a member of a church, if you're not a member of a local church, and you are out and you're not in, and, and you are living contrary to the New Testament. And so I pray that if, if this is not the church for you, I pray you'll find a local body that you can commit to and be accountable to, not just for the good of yourselves and for those around you, but for the glory of God as you glorify God in the way you love one another and you serve and give your life for the sake of this church. When I married Jenny, I, uh, we had to have that talk before we got married. I remember November 1st, three years ago, when we had... Some of you know what this is. The DTR. What does DTR mean? 
define the relationship. Yeah, we had to define the relationship. And I told her that night, I said, you know, would you just pray about us dating? And she said, oh, I already have. God told us we're going to date. She was ready then. <laughs> she was way ahead of me. <laughs> but we had to have that define the relationship talk. And so as we close, let, let me ask you personally, Have your own DTR. Define the relationship between you and the church. The truth is, there's no such thing as a spiritual free agent. Like LeBron James is going to take his talents to South Beach. You don't just say, well, I'm going to take my talents down to whatever Baptist church, and then I'm going to take my talents here. When, when it, you know, it's, it's not how it works, right? So let's define the relationship. And then I'll close. Membership in the local church involves committing your life in covenant with other believers to show the gospel to each other and to spread the gospel to the world. I'll say that one more time. Let's define the relationship. And I hope you'll define your relationship with the church. Membership in the local church involves committing your life in covenant with other believers to show the gospel to each other and to spread the gospel to the world. And so I close this morning by urging you to pray and to think this through for your own life. The New Testament knows of no Christians who are not accountable members of local churches in the sense that we've just seen. Lone Ranger Christians are a contradiction because becoming a Christian means being united to Christ. And union with Christ expresses itself in union with a local body of believers. It seems that in the New Testament, to be excluded from the local church was to be excluded from Christ. This is why the issue of membership is so important. So let me ask you again, and I'll be done. Are you an accountable member of a local church? Not just is your name somewhere, but are you committed to discipline and being disciplined according to biblical standards? Have you publicly declared your willingness to be shepherded and to be led by the leaders of a local church? Do you see yourself and your gifts as part of an organic ministering body? Do you show by your firm attachment to Christ's body that you are attached to Christ? Let's not miss this. Church membership is a blood-bought gift of God's grace. And more than most of us realize, and more than I realize probably, church membership is a life-sustaining, faith-strengthening, joy-preserving means of God's mercy to us. And I urge you not to cut yourself off from that blessing. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word which so clearly teaches us how important it is to be not only in union with Christ, but in union with Your Bride. I pray for our people this morning, for our members. I pray that they would be encouraged by what they have here at this church, the membership. I pray that we would not take each other for granted, but that we would love one another. I pray that for our members that we would increase our 
our desire to follow and to be a part of this church, to increase our commitment to our connect groups, to our church, to our people. And Father, I also pray a prayer for for our non-members who are visiting today, maybe for the first time. Father, if there's someone here who's never believed the gospel, never trusted in Christ, and maybe today in a, in a sermon about church membership, they realize, I'm excluded from the church and I'm also excluded from Christ. Father, by Your grace, would You bring those people to repentance of sin and trust in Christ so that they may join a local church. Father, I pray for those who may be dating the church pray that they would be committed. For those who have maybe been attending here for a long time, Father, this is not for the sake of building our numbers. This is for the sake of, of people, for, their, the, for the good of their lives, to, to be joined with people, to, to help them and serve them and love them and serve in the kingdom together. So, Father, all over this building, I, I pray that our, our view of church membership would be elevated as we see the importance not only of being united with Jesus, but being united with His bride. Father, add to your church through conversion and through commitment to a local body. In Jesus' name, amen. You'll stand. We're going to worship in response to the Word. Uh, but we'll have some men, uh, uh, some leaders back in the back. If you're interested in... in becoming a member of this church and you'd like to know more or especially if you're not a believer this morning and you want someone to pray with you and to talk more about that we'll have people available to talk with you in the back so uh, let's worship the lord together as we respond to his word